Welcome, listeners, to the Braden Heidner Low podcast. I'm Scott Heidner. I'm uh, here at Stock Hill Restaurant in Kansas City today with my guest, Sam Mellinger, sports writer for the Kansas City Star. Sam, thanks for making time to be with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've been looking forward to it for sure. Most of our listeners are in Kansas, so a lot of them have probably seen your work, as I have over the years uh, at the Kansas City Star, and uh, very cool to get to pick your brain today about your experience. Yeah, happy there. to do it. Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, let's start back at the beginning. You're a Lawrence yeah. native, or grew up in Emporia, but uh-huh. uh, Lawrence High graduate, and uh, you, we were talking before the podcast, you were saying you knew you wanted to do the journalism thing from a pretty young age. And yeah. even got on at the Lawrence Journal World in high school. How did all that come about? Yeah, I mean, I um, I, I grew up. Uh, my mom had a uh, an English background. She she was an English teacher, um, and a really good writer. Like you know, my mom was like kind of the first person that I knew that could could really write. Mm-hmm. You know, and not like the textbooks, but like could really you know make the words kind of sing in a, in a different way. And and that spoke to me. My my grandparents were very. You know, uh, my, my grandma, also an English teacher, um, everything, you know, writing was always a big deal. I grew up in a house where there were four newspapers delivered. You know, the star was delivered to my house before I was old enough to read it. And and so I, I loved that. I loved words and writing and was just completely obsessed with sports, like from before I can remember. You right. Know, um, everything. Just I just wanted to go outside and shoot baskets or play catch or play home run derby and, you know, just anything. Um, and so this just became, you know, after I got through the fireman and astronaut stage, right? Like, uh, this became a way to combine the two things that I enjoyed the most. And, um, and my parents always, uh, I think they, my mom never thought it was a real job. I, you know, like she never said that, but I could tell, like she never thought like sports, you know, like I don't think she ever thought that was a real job. She was just waiting for the, you know, the phase to pass. But my aunt, uh, was a journalist. Um, and so it always, you know, it seemed real to me that this is something you could do. And so, yeah, when I, when I got into high school, it, it was, you know, partly I knew or felt like I knew that I wanted to do this, but I was also aware that I was only in high school. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to college uh, and then be, uh, you know, figure out that this is not what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. figure out after graduation. And then I just wasted four years and a lot of money, you know, taking some classes. Right. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to make sure. And so when I turned 16, I would say this, uh, the first day I turned 16, I took the car, uh, as a hand-me-down from my grandparents, um, and went and tried to impress my girlfriend, um, at the time. And then the second day, uh, that I, you know, the day after my birthday, I went to the journal world and just did you know, for, you know, whatever nobody else wanted to do, mm-hmm. which was typing obits and, you know, hand counting this like cartoon contest that they had, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff that, you know, should have talked me out of the business, you know, maybe, but, uh, but I loved it. I love the energy of a newsroom and I love like the mirror, the daily miracle of a newspaper. And it just, there was a lot of, you know, good stuff going on there. So I wanted to, you know, keep on doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome what your career has come to, because I'm sure journalism is no different than, you know, every kid that grows up playing sports wants to be a professional athlete, but very few do. You know, so many guys that go into physical therapy or sports medicine, they say, what do I want to do? I want to work for the Kansas City Chiefs, but but almost none do. And I'm sure in journalism, you know, at least in the beginning, at the top of the funnel, it's a flood of people that say, Mm -hmm. what I want to do in journalism is sports and specifically Chiefs and Royals and Jayhawks and Wildcats. But so very few actually successfully get their career to that point. So that's got to be awesome. Yeah, I, it's nice that you say. Like, 
I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, there, there are way more people who want to do my job than there are jobs like mine mm-hmm. to go around. And yeah. so uh, I'm very aware of that. And it takes, um, you know, I had to work. Like, you know, again, I was obsessed with this from the, the only way I've ever made money other than there was a summer where I mowed lawns and there was a summer where I worked at Walgreens, like stocking shelves, and that was terrible. But <laughs> everything else, since I was 16, like every dollar that I've ever made has been from a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I put in a lot of time. Like I mean, there was a lot of like college, you know, Friday and Saturday nights where I wish I could go out with you guys, but, you know, I'm going to go cover the big, you know, Bishop Miege, you know, Blue Valley game or whatever. Um, but, uh, but there's also a lot of lucky breaks along the way. You yeah. know, like you, you have to do both. And I'm very aware that I could have done the same stuff on my end and just if those lucky breaks didn't happen – you know, I could be doing something, you know, much, much different. This is, uh, you know, where I am. Um, you know, we all have different dreams. We all have different, you know, things that are interesting to us. But this is more than I would have expected, absolutely, yeah. when I got out of school. That's awesome. Well, as the old saying, I'm sure you've heard, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. There, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there is something to do that. And so I'm not, you know, the false humility stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be that. Like, I have worked hard. Right. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of lucky breaks and a lot of like really good people that kind of take interest in you. Mm-hmm. That's not specific to journalism, right? Like that's any walk of life. Um, so I'm very grateful to a lot of people that, that gave me more time than, than they probably should have. Yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. What I mean? That's yeah. awesome. Well, I don't want to spend very much time on this next question because it won't be as interesting to the listeners. <laughs> but uh, personally, yeah, you talk about, you know, having four newspapers delivered before you're even old enough to read um, I share your absolute love for a hard copy print newspaper. Still yeah. get it at my house every day, uh, every morning, no matter what my schedule is. You know, the first thing I do is grab that newspaper, and the first chance I get, I read it. I even do the crossword puzzles yeah. in the newspapers. And, uh, you know, I the reports of the death of print media have been a little premature, mm-hmm. but it's obviously taken a, a couple body blows. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I hope it's not truly going the way of the dinosaur. I hope yeah. there's a, still a place for us hard copy guys. Yeah, there, there's no question. Like, you know, journalism, even the time that I've been in, newspapers are a much different place, yeah. right? Um, when I started, my first job at the Star was covering high schools, and I was one of seven full-time employees whose primary focus was covering high schools. And now we have one person who does it like, when he's not covering sporting Kansas city, yeah. you know, like it's, it, it, it's very different like that. And I don't know that, you know, newspaper staffs are not, they're, they're not going to be what they were in the nineties or the eighties or the seventies or whatever. Um, so there, there's a reshifting, um, but we have to be comfortable with that and accept that and feel that, you know, we need to be able to, you know, digital subscriptions. Like, I don't know how much you want to get into this. I can talk about it all day, but oh, like, uh, the digital subscriptions yeah. are like, you know, we, we have to, that has to be a thing that we do, you know, yeah. it's, it's an expensive process, you know, doing the news and traveling and paying people and benefits and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, so that, that has to be a thing that people are willing to do. And I've been really, um, you know, grateful obviously, but, uh, you know, just also pleased with, you know, the response the last probably year, maybe six months, we, we've had a big push toward digital subscriptions. I think the, the response has been, uh, you know, mostly right. Like there's, there's no consensus. There's no, uh, there's no unanimous, but, um, you know, the response has been pretty good. Yeah. And certainly I'm a big consumer of digital media too. Um, 
but son of a gun, do I ever love picking up yeah. that hard copy in the morning. Yeah. It's nothing yeah. quite like it. Yeah. yeah, me too. Well, let's switch gears to probably the most interesting part to our listeners uh, and to me as well of your career. Uh, you get to cover the teams that we all love. Yeah. Um, Royals, Chiefs, Jayhawks, Wildcats. Uh, that is just awesome. So tell us a little bit about the mechanics of that. You know, do you – what is your access level to those coaches and athletes? You know, do you ever travel with them or is it always separately and then you just get the post-game and pre-game stuff? You know, does it involve you have access to the locker room? Um, you know, how, structurally, how does all that work and how do you get your access to those folks? Yeah, so so one of the things that I like about the job is that there's no just sort of blanket template answer for any of this. Like, it's all a little bit different and I like that. Mm -hmm. um, I get bored with routine. Um, but for the most part, um, we, we don't travel with the team. We're not on the, the bus or the plane or whatever. Uh, but we're sort of traveling parallel, mm -hmm. you know, uh, same times, um, you know, a hotel. Sometimes we're at the team hotel. Sometimes it's, you know, some other place in, in the same city. Um, the access, again, it, it depends. It, it varies, you know. It, it, there's, a, there's a huge degree of, of variance between – it depends on the team. Um, you know, Bill Self, Bruce Weber, I can, I can call, you know, like, you know, if there's something that I need, you know, something that's pressing, like I, I can call them, they call, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, Andy Reed, not so much, <laughs> right. Um, you know, Dayton Moore has been, you know, probably since I got this job, like is gracious with his time, more gracious with his time than, than anybody else that I've dealt with, you know, professionally. Um, you know, he's been terrific. Um, you're asking about the mechanics of a game, um, and again, they, they vary. Like at a Royals game, the clubhouse opens of the typical games. I can't remember what they're doing this upcoming season, seven ten or seven fifteen, but um, the the clubhouse will open about three forty five, and it'll be open for uh, about an hour. Um, there's players. It depends. You know, they've got meetings and stuff. It just depends on their schedule. But players are in and out. Uh, Ned talks on the bench, you know, uh, about halfway through that. Uh, baseball is a very open culture. The culture of baseball is standing around the batting cage, uh, telling old stories, trying to make people laugh, you know, talking about the game. Like, it's a very open culture. I love it. Um, it's, it's really like, I don't know, if it's not my favorite sport to watch, but it's my favorite sport to cover. Mm -hmm. And I love to watch it, too. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's just that, that culture of it is, is terrific. Then after the game, you know, you go down and, and Ned will talk and he'll answer questions. Clubhouse is open. It's, again, um, not everybody. Everybody's got different personalities. But it's, it's, it's definitely the most open. You know, you can get the most information. You can, hear, you know, the, you can learn the most from the people involved. Uh, I love that about baseball. Uh, football is very closed. The culture of football is state secrets. The culture of football is this is a war and you're, you know, we can't give away our secrets and, and all that stuff. So it, it's different. Um, and again, like you have different relationships. You connect with different players or coaches or scouts or executives. And so um, you can break through that a little bit. And I've, again, I've been fortunate that I've had some good relationships with people, um, with the Chiefs, and, and, you know, I can find out some information that isn't just, you know, in, in the press conference or whatever. But for the most part, they are very buttoned up. Um, after a game, it's quick. You know, those guys just played a game. They're, they're trying to pack up. They're trying to get on the, the bus and then the plane if it's a road game because uh, they fly out that night. You know, that, you know, directly after the game, their plane probably leaves. I'm just guessing an hour after the game or two hours after the game, or they're wow. just they're out. They yeah. are out. Um, so 
you get in there, the club or the locker room in football is open, and you get who you can get. And then after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of, of the locker room being open, Andy will go. Um, Andy Reid will go and do his press conference. Um, and I usually don't go in there, to be honest with you. I stay in the locker room because that's where I can get original stuff that, that other people aren't getting. And then after Andy's done, uh, the quarterback will go in there. I used to not worry about the quarterback either. This past season was a little different. Yeah, you know, there times was, have changed. There was more interest in the quarterback uh, this past season. So sometimes I'll go in there, uh, but sometimes I'll still stay in the locker room. I feel like that's when you can get, again, like stuff that nobody else has. Um, so the mechanics are you, you gotta you gotta manage your time really well. Everything is, you know, it's quick. It it, it happens quick. You gotta make decisions. Sometimes you make the wrong decision. Um, but you know, over time, and I've had this job for um, you know almost exactly nine years, the the column job. So I see a lot of the same people. There's not a lot of people in the Chiefs locker room who have been playing for the Chiefs longer than I've been covering the Chiefs. Um, I don't think there's any Royals players who have been playing with, for the Royals longer than I've been covering. So you have relationships. You see the same faces. Sometimes that's bad, right? Sometimes you just you don't click with somebody, and it's right. just it's not going to happen. And sometimes it's it, it can really work in your favor. Do you have – I'm sure you develop some degree – you've got a professional relationship with all these folks, but yeah. um, as most of us do at work, you develop some you know, a private relationship of sorts sure. with people you work with. Do you have players that you keep in touch with even after they leave town and, yeah. and they're no longer on the teams? Yeah, I mean the the, the one that comes to mind is uh, comes to mind first is Mark Tian. Yeah, uh, he's one of my favorite people. Uh, he is he's genuinely a hell of a hitter too. Yeah, just and genuinely like hilarious and and self aware and you know Mark played at a really dark time for the Royals. Um, you know he was the Royals player of the year, one of those years that they lost 100 games. Mm. And um, he's aware. It, it, it's this weird, you know, simultaneous existence where he was a big leaguer, you know. Like, he rose to the top 1% of the top 1% of his profession. You know, he, he was one of 750 people on this planet good enough to play in the big leagues and had a career, I mean, I'd have to double-check it, but I'm guessing eight years in the big leagues, something like that. Um that's something to be proud of. Um, and he had a really interesting career, too. He was in that Moneyball class, the Michael Lewis book with the A's. Yeah. Um, then got traded to the Royals and kind of went through a, you know, and got traded for uh, uh, Carlos Beltran. He was in the, you know, the Carlos uh, Beltran trade. Um, and then went to the White Sox, and I kind of lost touch. Maybe a couple other teams after that. Um, but he also, you know, the bulk of his career was with uh, – <laughs> you know, a horse bleep organization. <laughs> and and he is well aware of that, and he can laugh at it. And you talk to him now. When, when the Royals went from that to, you know, 2013 and then especially 2014 and 15 into the playoffs, into the World Series, and then eventually, you know, parade, um, he was one of my favorite people to talk to about, like, the juxtaposition of this success with, you know, the, the just complete failure. Yeah. And, and he was open, and he could laugh about it. And, and he was also a fan, you know, um, there's, there's the picture. It's one of those, um, he's on a, the cover of sports illustrated, uh, you know, cause th th it's one of the celebration pictures and I can't remember exactly which one, but if you look closely in the background, you can see Mark Teen in the first or second row cheering him on, you know, I mean, he was there just sort of yeah. as a fan and he had personal relationships with a lot of those guys, Alex Gordon in particular. Um, but still he didn't have to do that, you know, but that stuff like meant something real to him. And I was just always impressed with his ability to – that didn't ruin his experience. 
and he was still able to genuinely feel part of of that success. I, not everybody could pull that off. Yeah. You know, there'd be a lot of people bitter, and there are a lot of people that were Mark's te- teammates bitter that they didn't have that chance. Yeah, that is awesome. And boy, for all of us Royals fans, man, 29 years in the wilderness. Oh, my gosh. Was, but it was worth the wait. Yeah, I, um, I've told people this before. Like, if, if I live to be 250 years old and, and do this job until my last breath, I don't know that I'll ever have more fun yeah. than, than those two years just because of there's something, you know, when and if, and I believe it's when, actually, um, the Chiefs win a Super Bowl, it'll be an enormous party. I mean, just any, like the, the scale of the party will dwarf the scale of that Royals party. I really do believe that. Football is just a bigger deal, you know, in society and in mm-hmm. Kansas City. But there's something personal about baseball that I don't think exists in football. Maybe some of it is a culture thing that, that I was just talking about before. I think it's more because baseball's every day and baseball becomes like this companion on summer nights and you know, it's corny, whatever, but I believe oh, it. I, I believe that it really absolutely. exists. And and everything that is I get goosebumps like talking about fourteen and fifteen, like literally and everything that is boring about baseball, everything that people like you know, um, trash talk baseball about the slow pace, you know, no action, all that stuff. All of that stuff becomes what's incredible about baseball when it matters, about playoff baseball. And, you know, I'll just never – literally, it's hard to remember this, but it's it's true. In 2014, when they – especially in that wild card game and leading up to the wild card game, that was the first time that Kauffman Stadium was full, loud, and blue. And that's a distinction because – um, you know, in the 80s, when the Royals were always good, people forget this, but but people didn't wear jerseys in the 80s like they do now. Like, mm-hmm. that was a, a phenomenon that came on kind of in the in the 90s or 2000s. They didn't wear the team colors as much back then. And so once the Roy- once that became a thing, the Royals weren't good enough for that. So when, when it was full, it was opening day, but people had their jackets on because it's cold. Or when it was full, it was because the Cardinals were in town, so half the stadium's red. That was the first time that it was like everybody's wearing blue and everybody is super loud and into this. And I'll never forget James Shields said when he walked out to throw literally, you know, not the ceremonial first pitch, but the literal first pitch of that wild card game, the, f- the ground was shaking from the noise. He said literally he could feel it on his feet. The ground, the field that they were playing this game on was shaking from the noise. That's incredible. And that's so awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. So I, I share your sentiment. I love all the sports, but baseball is my deepest passion, always has been. And uh, it has broken my heart a little bit over the years to see it fall back on the popularity scale and be eclipsed by yeah. other sports, um, particularly soccer. That one stings more than most. But, <laughs> right. um, but I've heard – I can't remember if it was Bob Costas or somebody – said something a few years ago when he was talking about the demise of baseball that I thought made a lot of sense, and it has to do with how baseball is covered. And I can't, if it was Bob Costas, whoever it was, his comment was, there's probably never been a sport uh, more suited to interpretation through print and radio and less suited to entertain via television. And I thought that was pretty insightful. That sounds insightful. like Costas. Yeah, it yeah, does. It is, it is insightful, uh, yeah. And, and I don't, you know, part of me doesn't even want to admit that because I love watching it on TV. But I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, back when everybody consumed sports via radio, mm-hmm. it is such, uh, it facilitates being so descriptive. And the yep. same applies in print, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it suffers a little from the pace of the game when you televise it to, to the average American. 
Yeah, yeah. Baseball is. Um, I don't want to say it's a niche, but like you know, there's you either get it or you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think there's a lot of that, yep. and and so there's those of us, um, and I kind of dip my toes in in all this. Like there, there's those of us that could watch an entire game and be fascinated by just is it going to be a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup? You know that that whole batter pitcher thing like yeah. that that can be enchanting um the the burst of speed and athleticism of somebody you know the, the center field are going back and, and trying to rob a home run or or just the power of a, of a home run, the, the 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 battle between um the guy on first versus the pitcher versus the catcher trying to steal second like yep. we can get into that there's also um numbers there's there's uh just <laughs> a, an absurd amount of you know quantitative analysis you know just these stats and and there's and i'm like this too there's some of us that can lose ourselves in that and and there's others um and i'm like this too of of the the connective tissue of of the history of the game and the stories and um you know i mean this again this sounds so corny but one of my memories of you know one of the ways i fell in love with with baseball was going to games um with my family in particular my dad my mom and sister weren't real baseball fans and um you know george brett is on that field and just hearing my dad talk about george brett versus you know his guy when he grew up was mickey mantle Mm -hmm. and you know comparing them and whatever and i don't know that i can really i can't remember tell you one thing you know specific thing that my dad said about that but i just remember that conversation and i remember thinking oh my gosh like mickey mantle was playing what 20 30 years before this um that's incredible that they were you know they're, they're still playing the same sport and it's still you know 90 feet and it's 60 feet six inches like all that stuff it's um you know that that part of it i don't think you know exists as much in other sports because you see old tapes of like bob Cousy, and like that that would not fly in today's nba the way they, right you know like the athleticism <laughs> is just so different but in baseball man like Mickey Mantle was hitting at 450 feet, 500 feet more. You know, that's, yep. you know, even today, you know. That's uh, still the metric. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I love that part of it, too. It's got everything. So a um, couple things yeah. on that. And, man, if I let myself, I could talk about nothing but baseball the whole podcast because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's my absolute passion. Uh-huh. But, you know, you talk about visiting with your dad about George Brett and hearing yeah. him talk about the difference between him and Mantle. Do you remember the old movie City Slickers, the old comedy? Totally, yeah. Yeah, there's a scene in there that I think is so, oh, my God, it's almost crippling in how real it is. It's the three guys around campfire, and somehow they're talking about how they never – got along with their dads, you know, fought about what they were going to do and they're not responsible and blah, 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 blah. And it's a pretty, you know, morose scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. These guys are kind of recognizing that all those experiences with their dads were struggled and tense and everything. And it's quiet for a minute. And one of them says, but you know, I could always talk to my dad about baseball. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, if you get it, like you said, mm-hmm. it's kind of a niche. Some people get it. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. But if you get it, mm-hmm. and if you ever had that experience with your dad, which you and I both did, yeah. that scene in the movie is just devastating for the, the truth of it, you know? Uh, it, absolutely. It's, um, I, I, I believe this. I've said this before. I've written it, and I believe this like in my bones, that um, sports are the most irrelevant thing in the world right until they're the most important thing in the world. And that's one of those things. Like I, I remember when, when um, it must have been the 25-year anniversary of – 1985 
and and that championship it that must have been it anyway I, I did this story on a generation of Royals fans who've grown you know who were born after 1985 um, and you know at that point these these people are old enough you know they've graduated college you know uh, maybe it was a 30-year anniversary anyway um, some of them are doctors you know some, some of them are old enough to, to not just have been married but been divorced you know like <laughs> and and they've just grown up rooting for a team that uh, that has given them nothing mm-hmm. you know that gave them a complete fluke in 2003 and and where they finished in third place I think uh, you know led by Jose Lima who was signed <laughs> sight unseen oh, because yeah. his fastball got up to 85 or whatever um, what, and, a, what a memory and it was just sort of like why are you Royals fans like why like, I, I get that you're, you live in Kansas City or whatever but why and I got so many responses it was it, it, it was incredible and the one that sticks with me um, was this woman who wrote and said, and I forgot the particulars, but she had a, a, a terrible relationship with her dad, just absolutely terrible relationship. Um, something happened and I don't know, but they would talk like once a week and it was only about the Royals and, and nothing else. And, but the Royals brought them to a point where eventually they, they reconciled, you know, they, they, they could at least talk about the Royals through the times where they, couldn't talk about anything else and that got them to the point where they could talk about this other stuff and have it think about that like the royals of like and not just the royals i'm sure there's stories like that about sure. the, the mariners or the cubs or the marlins whatever maybe not the marlins right but uh you know, there's <laughs> i didn't mean it like that but it's true uh sorry if there's marlins fans listening but, um, but you know like that's what sports teams you know, like winning a championship is great, but that's the biggest gift, you know, that I think teams can give us is Absolutely. little relationships, memories, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, to that end, kind of the emotional tie to sports, yeah. uh, my darkest hour with the Royals, by far the angriest I ever was with the franchise. It wasn't the bad trades. It wasn't David Cohn for Ed Hearn. It wasn't the 100 lost seasons. Uh, I was absolutely viscerally pissed when they let Fred White go. Yeah. Because no matter how many games they lost, uh-huh. I had Denny and Fred on the radio. Yep. And that was everything. Yep. And yeah, and I think that speaks to the fact that it's not just the performance on the field that totally. defines what you get out of that sport. Yeah. I mean I'm I'm old enough that when I was a kid there weren't a lot of Royals games on T V. Um, so like the soundtrack of my house yes. was, you know, my dad's. And, and what a great way to say it. That is a fantastic <laughs> term of art. It's so true. Yeah, mine, but, mine too. Yeah. The, the, it was my dad's like huge stereo that he bought in Vietnam <laughs> <laughs> that he, I mean, he still has today. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was Fred and Denny, like, you know, projecting through the whole house. And then yep. you hear the. Uh, you know, the, the, the locusts or whatever, you know, kind of in the background. And, um, yeah, yeah. those voices, th- that, that's been one of my, you know, kind of this surreal thing, too. Um, my dad is a much bigger uh, baseball fan than football fan. So I grew up, I think a lot of us are interested in what our dads are interested in sports. And so I grew up more into the Royals and the Chiefs. And, and so those voices, like you, like so many other people that grew up in this area, become a part of like a real part of your childhood right and that was one of these surreal moments when I started doing what I'm doing and I met you know Fred and Denny and then you just it's the same voice yeah it's the same voice that you've heard 
forever. Um, literally, like for you, it's you've heard that voice forever, and yeah. now they're like saying your name and asking you questions, and it's just like it's conversation. There, there's like a little, it's a weird hurdle that you get over. Like, oh my gosh, like I, I can ask a question, and that voice comes back to me with the answer. It's weird. What an unbelievably cool experience. It's, yeah, it's so crazy. It's that crazy. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah, well, and one last comment about the ties that you have to the people that cover the game too, mm -hmm. and then we can move on. The only time I've ever written a letter to the editor of a paper was a long time ago. As a kid, we got the Topeka Capital Journal, yeah. and there's a sports writer named Bob Henson. Mm -hmm. and he wrote for, my God, for a thousand years, it <laughs> seemed, yeah. uh, every day, every day of my life. Even as a kid, I read the paper, mm -hmm. especially the sports page. And you pull it up, and there would be his byline and his picture. Um, I never met Bob Henson. Uh, he may be a saint. He may be a raging a-hole for mm -hmm. all I know. Sure. But it was a formative part of my life. And having never met the guy at all, when he passed away, I wrote a letter to the editor and just said, you know, it will it'll oh, never, it'll really? never be the same. You know? yeah. and, and, and I was just shocked at how sad I was at the passing of this man I had never met because it was such a fixture to pick up that yeah. paper every day. And you're a humble enough guy. You probably won't dwell on this too long. And you're a humble enough guy. Maybe you've never even thought about it. Uh, but your career's doing the same thing to a young person out there. And that's a pretty cool thing. I, I mean this literally. Like, I think about that every day. I really do. Like, I think about it absolutely every day. I, it's, um, you know, like, it's not something I ever even imagined um, – and not because, like, I'll never be in that position. I never consciously, I think, th realized that, th that those things existed, even though I felt that same connection with, you know, writers growing up. But for some reason, I never, they don't seem like real people, mm -hmm. too. Like, when you just read them in the paper, and then, you know, you find out, like, you know, Dan Jenkins has a family and, you know, his daughter <laughs> Sally is like this incredible, you know, writer as well. Uh, you just don't, you don't think about it like that. But um, once you start doing this job and you hear from people, um, and, and I do now, um, I just got like the nicest email from this guy named Connor yesterday that kind of just made me like pause in my tracks a little bit of, of those connections. Like the, the connection, and you never forget this, the connection is not you and the reader the connection is sports to a fan and you're a conduit and and you you know you can be a small part of that um and and you have to be like grateful for that place but i think about that every day it's uh and and again it's not it's not even not a reason that i got into it it's just not it wasn't a consideration when i got into it but now it is uh the 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 absolute best part of my job is those connections and and hearing from people um, you know, whether it's, and sometimes it can be like, you know, that was really dumb. Like I disagree with it for this, 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 and this. And then you write them back and you have a conversation. Um, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, or it can be, um, man, I've been, uh, reading you since I was a kid and now I'm, you know, and that makes you feel old. Right. But, <laughs> but you still, that's a cool thing. Oh you yeah. Know? Um, it's gotta be. and it's, um, it, it's people saying like, I look forward to, you know, I do this like kind of Q&A, Melanie Minutes every every Tuesday. And people like write me all the time about like um, every Tuesday I go to lunch and I don't I don't go to lunch until that thing posts because I can just spend my lunch reading that. And, and it, it, it's this incredible gift to be able to feel like you're for these people to feel like they're having a conversation with you just through something you've read. It's it's um, 
it is the best part of my job, and I mean it literally. There's not a day that goes by I don't think about it. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah that is totally cool because it is, I, I promise you, and you know it based on the feedback, it sounds like, but it's the best. you are having that impact it's the best. Or, yeah. or that playing that role, at yeah. least in somebody's yeah. life. Yeah. A couple of other questions I uh, want to ask before we run out of time here. You yeah. mentioned earlier we're talking about baseball being such a mecca for statistics. Yeah. And I think we're both stats geeks mm-hmm. to a large degree. In your job, can you play fantasy sports? Can you do fantasy football, or um, you know, are you almost like ethically? No, you know? uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that. Uh, I can't do fantasy, not not because of my job. Okay, I can't do fantasy baseball just because. Well, maybe partly because of my job. Fantasy baseball is every day. It's just like an overload of time for me. Yeah, that I just I've, I've tried it a couple different times. And I just always find that I go three weeks and realize I haven't. You know, I'm still playing a guy that's hurt or whatever um but i play fantasy football i've been in this league for a really really long time it's a bunch of high school friends um those those are the best yeah and and it's you know football is a better fantasy sport because it's once a week and you know it's more manageable and it's just a reason to it sounds pathetic like if somebody had like real priorities you know they'd be like (laughs) what are you talking like you can't just reach out and talk to your friend and it's like well you know right doesn't always work like that um, but yeah, I, pl- I play fantasy football, um, and, and this year I uh, proud to say we won the championship, uh, and partly because I uh, traded or uh, drafted Patrick Mahomes last year. Sat him on my bench. It's a super nerdy league. It's yeah. like a keeper league. You know. Those are the best. Anyway, uh, it's my first championship of my life, so I got to brag about that real quick. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and I will will carry this conversation another time, but um, I would challenge the football being better than baseball. If you're in a week, if you're in a daily baseball league, that's crazy. It's overloading. Yeah, it's overloading. But if you're in a weekly baseball league, it's really just like football. That's so true. You, if you can dial in once yep. a week and change your line if you're good. Yep. And you know what my favorite thing about fantasy baseball is? They play every day. Yeah. Because there's nothing that competes with football Sunday. Uh-huh. It's the greatest. Mm-hmm. But then I just sit. I mean, you got one game on Monday, maybe mm-hmm. occasionally Thursday. But baseball, man, all the time. I yep. can just soak in it every day. Uh, so the same reason I love the sport generally is the mm-hmm. same reason I think fantasy baseball is the best. Yeah. Uh, well, changing gears because I want to cover this before we get out of here yeah. for our listeners. We're recording this um, in early February. It won't be published for a while, so you get some perspective on the timing. Uh, we've just got a few minutes left here. What a great season for the Chiefs, obviously. Yeah. Everybody's got Mahomes mania. A um, couple questions for you. One, you know, what can you tell us about Patrick Mahomes? He sure seems like a good guy as well as a great athlete. And uh, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, too. They look legit. What's your prognostication for, for the next couple of years? Um, I, I don't think – I've written this. Um, I think they are, are better positioned at this moment than they have been at any point that, you know, in, in recent memory, I don't know, like, how to fudge that, but in, in years and, I would say, decades, um, plural. Um, and it's because they have something that they they have not had since Lynn Dawson, um, which is this this franchise quarterback. And um, and I would say it's more important now. Uh, the quarterback position is, is much more important now than it was when Lynn Dawson was playing, much more. I mean, it's just it's, it's almost literally a different sport. And they've got that guy. And the NFL's financial dynamics mean that they can keep that guy. And, and they can keep him for a long time. Um, and I, th- that's not a fluke. 
you know, what he did. Um, I don't know that he'll go 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. He might. Right. I mean, he really might. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he'll do that again, but I'd be shocked if he – and I just looked this up the other day. I'd be shocked if he went lower than 4,000 and, and, and 40. And do you know how many oh, – shoot, um, I'd have to double-check it. But there's only I think there's only been like 10 seasons where somebody's gone 4,000 and, and, and 40 touchdowns. You're kidding. Something like that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, wow. it's a really small number. Yeah. And, you well, know, that's, that seems like the, the, the floor right now if he stays, if he stays healthy. It does. Uh, total sidebar, but yeah. one of the statistics that blew my mind this year when Ryan Fitzpatrick came in for the Buccaneers when Jameis Winston yeah. was out, yeah. uh, you know, he just had that explosive – Initial performance, yeah. he had 400 yards passing three games in a row. First time in NFL history. Yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. Yeah. that neither Drew Brees or uh-huh. any of the other guys had ever done that. Yeah. Crazy little statistics. Yeah, yeah, and, and those um, – there's going to be a second time pretty soon if there hasn't been already. I you know what I mean? Because right. the, the, those numbers are just exploding. Yeah. But that kid, in, unless he just totally goes off track and falls in love with fame or – you know, God forbid, gets hurt. You know, you can never predict health. Yeah. Um, but if he stays focused, um, I just, I, it's hard for me to imagine a world in which a focused, healthy Patrick Mahomes is not a star, star, star quarterback. I mean, and I think the ceiling is significantly better than anybody else who's ever played the position. I really think that that's on the table in a realistic way. But I feel like the floor is a star for a very long time. He's just, he's too physically talented. Um, there's and, and I think this is incredibly important. Um, he has one of the best coaches that he could have around him. You know, say what you want about the rest of Andy Reid's game. He's good with quarterbacks, and he's good with, with uh, play design mm-hmm. and innovation and that kind of thing. And that's a perfect fit for Pat because he does so many different things, and he can, he can push the envelope a little bit. And, he's, you know, and I, I believe this. If you had Patrick Mahomes and everybody else in the NFL – was available for an expansion draft, you might take Tyreek Hill as the best singular fit for Pat's skill set, for Pat's physical gifts, and they have him. Travis Kelsey might be in your top ten of, yeah. of you, know, you know, it's everything is right there for him to be a stud for a really long time. And pretty much the whole offense is coming back. Very few people and they're young. free agents. Yeah. yeah, I mean Travis Kelsey is probably the closest that they have to not being in his prime anymore. Um, I think he's 30, uh, maybe 29, 29, 30, something like that. Um, but he just had the best year of his, of his life, and he's going to be like that. If you look at how tight ends age, mm-hmm. maybe he'll be different, but um, he's probably got another three, four years, you would think, yeah. at this level or close to it. The offensive line is back, and, and, you know, those guys were terrible against New England. They got overwhelmed. But for most of the year, they were solid, and you expect them to get incrementally better. Yep. Um, and, and, again, like Tyreek Hill, that is uh, that is a dangerous combination. Yeah. That, that's incredible. It sure is that. fun to watch. You yeah. know, just as the Royals in 14-15, they were fun to watch because they were winning, but specifically yeah. they were fun to watch because of all the speed. Yep. And the Chiefs, the yep. same. It's been fun to watch because yep. they're winning, but it's – it's also been fun to watch because it's just magic what those totally. guys have done. Yep. Uh, yep. And you don't need to talk about this much because we have got to, to wrap up here. Um, but Mahomes certainly outwardly, at least, seems like just a super humble, gracious young guy, too. Uh, I, yeah, I always like there's a disclaimer that should always be said here that we don't really know these guys. Yeah. You know, if you think about like in a real way, you don't really know your next door neighbor. Like they might be doing stuff behind the scenes that you don't know about, right? Right. Um, so certainly, 
with the financial motivations and stuff like that. But you can't find it. Like, there's there's not a – forget red flag. There's not a yellow flag. You know what I mean? Like, um, And I've talked to his family. I've talked to guys that he grew up with, his high school coaches, youth coaches. Um, you know, they, they describe the same thing of, you That's know, a awesome. guy that just is – uh, head over heels in love with competition and with sports and you know the the craziest story about him I think is that um, as late as his sophomore year in high school people who knew him well including his own father thought that football was his third best sport that he was you know he was we everybody talks about he's a draftable arm he was drafted as a pitcher would have been a second maybe third round talent um, you know if people thought he would actually play baseball and he was a, a stud basketball player and, and football came late, and, and the reason that he chose football, in his words, is that it was a challenge, that he didn't know. He felt like he had kind of peaked in baseball, and he had a million-plus, you know, waiting for him, you yeah. know, just if he would have said baseball. Um, he had 1.5 or, you know, whatever the number would have been, a, you know, seven-figure payday at 18 years old, and he said, nope, <laughs> I, I don't know that much about football, and that's more interesting to me. I'm going to go try it. And that – to me kind of says a lot about him and i'll never forget this too i talked to one of his one of his best friends um that he grew up with he was one of his receivers at white house high and then actually one of his receivers at at texas tech his name's coleman patterson and and i asked coleman you know because pat plays with such a a freedom you know he takes risks and and i asked him if, if he if he felt like if he ever felt like pat is able to play like that because he knows if he fails at football he has a million plus waiting for him in baseball. So no matter what happens, you know, you can't live the rest of your life on a million dollars, but no matter what happens, you've got a, a pretty sweet backup, you know? And, and he looked and he goes, I understand what you're saying and I get it. And I can see why you think that, but I think he plays like that because he's just never considered that he might fail. <laughs> I was like, man, son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that might be right as well. You and know? that's got to be, yeah, talk about empowering, you yeah. know, to be out there and not even have that thought in your yeah. head. Yeah. Well, I hate to uh, even think about wrapping this up because it's been a ton of fun, yeah. um, but we need to. So I want to oh, sure. uh, close with a question. You know, we always say on these podcasts, we never want our guests to say anything critical about somebody, but we sure love to put you in a position to pay some nice compliments. Two, three, or four, or five athletes um, or coaches over the years that you've had the opportunity to uh, be around, develop a relationship with, observe whatever that stand out to you for whatever reason, either because they're just great human beings or because they're incredibly entertaining yeah. or because your relationship simply lasted longer. We talked earlier about Mark Tehan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who are some folks that just put a smile on your face every time you think about them from, yeah, I mean, from your career? There's a lot, right? Um, and uh, so I know I'm going to forget some, but Dayton Moore, again, like has spent more time teaching me about baseball and leadership and a lot of things than 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 anybody else and some of that is my first day covering baseball was his second day as the gm no so we, we kind of like got started you yeah. know sort of at the same time so some of it is timing uh, but he's been incredible uh again bill self and bruce weber have been great uh with accessibility um dustin colquitt again we don't know these people but dustin colquitt from what i can see is one of the best human beings that you can imagine. Um, Eric Berry, um, Danny Duffy is is a beautiful soul. 
um, you know, there's somebody that's kind of off the radar probably for people listening to this, but Jarrett Sutton, I don't know how many people, especially in Kansas, would know that name, but he, he went to Oak Park High School here in Kansas City and then played at Mizzou, and, you know, he's become a friend and, um, like, a really sharp guy. He works in basketball now, um, trying to do some big things. You know, there, there's – I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. Um, you know, the, 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 there's just a ton. But um, Eric Berry, you know, his story yeah. is absolutely amazing. I know this past year was kind of a mess uh, for a lot of reasons. Tom Baha Lee was, um, you know, you know, unfailingly honest uh, sometimes to the Chiefs' chagrin. <laughs> um, Zach Greinke is one of my favorite people to ever cover. Zach, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, How interesting. Cause... Buddy Bell used to say, um, "The kid will never lie, even when he should." <laughs> <laughs> you hear yeah. about what a uh, kind of odd duck he is. It's interesting he was, to I hear mean, he's one of your favorites. Yeah, he yeah. had you know social anxiety disorder. That's you know been well covered and stuff. You know, so, so the stuff would come out kind of monotone, and we you know, but. Uh, he saw the game in in a really specific kind of unique way. Um, you know, th- there's a million Zach stories. There's a million Zach stories. Like, um, you know, th- there was one, uh, I think it was Alex Gordon was struggling. And um, uh, no, it was a pitcher. I'm sorry, it was a pitcher. And and um, I forgot who it was. Jeremy Offelt. It was Jeremy Offelt. And he gave up a home run. And he came into the dugout. He's like, I can't believe that was a perfect pitch. I can't believe that 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 guy hit the home run. That was a perfect pitch. It was right on the corner, good movement, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like an inning later, um, Zach comes back, and he's like, hey, Jeremy, I went back and watched. That pitch was right down the middle. <laughs> like, that should have been hit for a home run. And Jeremy's like, thanks, Zach. And he's like, no, I mean it. It was like right <laughs> over the plate. Like, that, that should have been crushed. It was a terrible pitch. It was just a terrible pitch. I like stuff like that. <laughs> There's a Sports Illustrated story years ago about him and his – demeanor that way and one of the quotes I remember was somebody was putting together a charity golf tournament and one of those teammates and came to him and said hey Zach you know I wonder if you'd be willing to play in this charity golf tournament and Zach just looked at him and said well why would I want to do that yeah. you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. that blatant yeah. blunt you know yeah. yeah here's one more I got yeah well Art Stewart Art Stewart is one of my oh, favorite people in the world oh I uh, we may have to do a whole scout. separate I'd, podcast I'd be happy about to do that. Art Stewart Art That's Stewart is awesome. literally like one of my favorite people in the world but I love uh, self-deprecating humor. Um, there's a guy named Mike Arbuckle who people probably aren't that familiar with. He's an executive with the Royals, um, helped build the Phillies, you know, that, that Phillies championship core. Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, all those guys. Anyway, um, I remember talking to him before a playoff game in 2014. And we were talking about, like, sort of the, the you have to be you have to be good. You have to <laughs> uh, luck is the intersection of, of preparation and, and, and opportunity, right? And we were talking about, like, all the things that had to go together, you know, luck, like, outside of your control. And he was telling me a story about um, Aaron Brooks. I don't know how many people remember Aaron Brooks. The pitcher. He um, was in the trade for Ben Zobrist. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they needed a pitcher. They they some, There was an injury, and they didn't have anybody to start a game in Toronto. And um, and they, they was down to Brooks and one or two others. And they were going back and forth about who, who to do, you know, who to, who, who to give the start to. And Mike said, you know, I stood up and I pounded on the table. And I said, look, guys, I don't know if Aaron Brooks is going to throw a complete game or, you know, shut out or anything. I'm not saying that. But, you know, he's not just going to, in this baseball language, but he's not just going to, you know, give up 10 runs. You know, he's not he's not just going to, you know, wet the bed or whatever. And people, I don't know if people might remember, but Aaron Brooks gave up something like eight or nine <laughs> runs in two-thirds of an inning. So, you know, that, that was the background of that conversation. So he just looked at me and he just goes, oops. Oops. <laughs> 
but there they were in the playoffs, you know, and that was a run that they ended up like one swing away from the, you know, from the World Series. It was just, I'll never that forget that awesome. too. It, it just thrills me that you brought up Art Stewart. I mean, of all the people that I would no. kill to sit down and have a steak with. I mean, he's, what a he's what a lifetime of stories. He oh, is amazing. He's got God. so we, many stories. We may have to bring you back. We never got around to cigars, did we? Yeah, there we go. All yeah. right. Well, yeah, we yeah. may have to do part okay. two sometime. We'll, for sure. Well, Sam, I can't thank you enough for making time yeah, to no, come thanks by. thanks for having me. What yeah. a great time. Yep. And uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate all you do and, okay. and look forward to continuing to enjoy your work with the star. And Yeah, that's nice of you. Yeah, and it was great to have you here. So, listeners, thanks for tuning in to the BHL podcast with our guest Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star and uh, we'll catch you next time. 